3: Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club.
4: Billy Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony Delasandra.
5: Billy's vocals, it was automatic art. You
2: know, I had to, like, choose a more challenging route than just, like, da-da-da-da, you know what I'm saying? Like, it could have been, like, easier. And a lot of people have asked me, like,
1: Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy, and anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free.
6: Long Shot is a production of McClatchy Studios and iHeartRadio. Previously on Return Man
7: today I think that people might suggest that there is
0: some ill will directed toward him by the police, Mm
6: -hmm.
0: but there was nothing that we could prove.
6: I work at the uh, newspaper in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Was your dad, uh, Russell Henson, the police officer from Lancaster? That was what they were saying, something about his daughter, and I
7: can imagine that. You know, football player nationwide, stuff like that, you know. he come back home, you know that home so If
4: Jim Duncan, who is used to even a degree of hero worship in Baltimore, comes down to South Carolina, the potential for explosive conflict is pretty obvious. Uh,
6: Jones, Thompson, Spears... It's a bright January day when I pull into the Salem AME Zion Church Cemetery in Heath Springs, South Carolina, not far from Lancaster. On the day he died, I'm confident Jim Duncan's finances were a mess, and his marriage wasn't much better. Jim's NFL career seemed pretty much over, and he'd moved back into the house he'd bought for his mother. Everything around Jim was a reminder of where he'd once been and what his life had become. But there are so many things I still can't say for sure. Hello? Linda, this is Brett McCormick. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? Including where Jim was actually laid to rest. I'm good. I'm standing in the middle of a cemetery. I was looking for Butch's grave. Um, Does this ring a bell? It's Salem, A-M-E, Zion. Yes, that does. Yeah, yeah, okay. This church outside Lancaster is the one Jim's mother, Ellery, grew up in. This cemetery is the one Jim's widow hasn't been back to in decades. Elroy and Linda haven't come back here either, not since the day Jim was buried. Do you remember, was he buried by a tree? I don't know if you would remember that. I don't remember. I'm sorry, I don't remember that. I know, this is so long ago and it's hard to even visualize. Those closest to Jim have believed for decades that he never would have killed himself. But if they're right, how did things go so wrong for the former star athlete inside that Lancaster police station? Could any other scenario be more plausible than Jim simply taking his own life? Do you remember, though, like when he was buried, he had a, he had like a headstone? What I didn't know at the time was that in that small town and well beyond, word of my reporting was getting around. I need to call you back later, too, because I had something weird happen over Christmas. Somebody that knows that I'm working on this story called me and told me they found Suddenly, maybe Jim's case wasn't closed just yet. From the Herald, McClatchy Studios, and iHeartRadio, this is Return Man. I'm Brett McCormick, and this is Part Eight, Speaking from the Grave. Do you have anything to remember about, or like?
5: Um, I have, I have some magazines and some pictures that my wife has gotten over the years. And I have a painting. I'll show it to you. I have it actually
6: up in Five the house. Lives, yeah. Yeah. Moral United's Clyburn is showing me around his house outside Charlotte. Elroy said that every member of the family had been offered a scholarship. It oh passed. yeah,
5: seven for seven. And That's nuts. One professional, yeah.
6: And one pro, yeah. Initially, Moral was reluctant to speak with me. Initially, many of the people close to the story were. Your kids ever ask you about him? I mean, did you ever have a conversation?
5: No, I mean my daughter knows who that is on the picture upstairs. She's pretty much aware, you know, her uncle played football for the Colts and you know the broader story there. Yeah. You know, as she gets a little older, I'm sure she may ask some questions.
0: The Baltimore Colts champs of the American Conference, the Dallas Cowboys champs of the National
7: Conference.
6: Over the past few years, I've been asked by Jim's friends and family, by my editors, and people I've interviewed, how I think Jim died. The answer is, I'm not sure. Jim was elusive in life, as a kick-returner, as a brother, a husband, and a friend. And it should be a simple question to answer. What happened in that police station? But I can't prove anything. Who's this? George Lloyd. So he's the only one alive... Um, saw it. That's no surprise to Morrill. So George Lloyd had been at the Lancaster Police Department for two weeks. He was working the desk, and he told me that Butch walked in, the police lieutenant was going through the mail, and that he said, can I help you, and that he pulled a gun and stepped back and shot himself.
5: The story's been set for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. no one's changing that story. I, I guess you say you can't dispute people that were there, but at the same time, Still, some of this stuff goes on. So what have we done in 46 years?
6: So why bother? That's the follow-up question I always get. Why does it matter that a little-known former football player died in his hometown police station, and we're not really sure how? Why put Jim's family and others involved through all of it again? I think really, like, you know, multiple people have asked me, mostly, like, white people have asked me, what are you going into this for again? Like, why are you bringing it back up? Alice and I talked a lot about that. A lot of people said over and over, man, if this happened nowadays, like, it would have been so different, you know? And, and that's kind of upsetting to me. Alice declined to lend her voice to this podcast, but we spoke for nearly four hours, the first time Alice has ever spoken at length about the man she ultimately knew for just a little over a year, or about the tension with Jim's family that she thinks kept them all from demanding answers together. The interesting thing to me, nobody had ever talked to you that reported on this story. The first reason I think this story is important is that regardless of how Jim died, his life is worth celebrating. I was surprised and honored in a way that through my research, I was able to share things with Jim's family that they'd never known about him.
0: We're just about ready to get the second half underway. Deep for
5: the calls. This is on YouTube? Mm-hmm.
6: I was able to show moral highlights of his brother's NFL career that he hadn't seen until we sat down together. Like He's just so much faster than everybody. <laughs> Nor had he heard many of these stories from Jim's teammates. Bob Grant told me a lot of stuff. No, was his a professional friend? Or? Yeah, he knew a lot about him. People in Lancaster remember the man who wrote a hit song
0: Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed.
6: And their hometown astronaut.
0: Roger, Twink. Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot.
6: But Morrill's very name is one of the only reminders that this former mill town also produced a Super Bowl champ.
3: This is the Orange Bowl. It'll be jammed 80,000 fans today, Super Bowl Day.
6: Do you feel like he's been forgotten in Lancaster?
7: Somewhat 'cause you know, generations come
6: through some through. It's just old timers, no Yeah. Yeah. Floyd White was one of Jim's coaches at Bar Street High School. He told me there was once a corner store in the black part of town that had a painting of Jim on it. But that store was demolished long ago and the mural went with it.
7: We had a like a mural. Okay. With him on it. Up here on Gay Street, on those corners right there little store
6: right there they tore it down. And when they tore that down, they tore that down. Oh, okay. So that one. Today, there's a small history museum in the basement of that same courthouse where Jim was married and where the inquest announced how he died. I apologize. There's, That's
7: there's okay. a sign on there says use front
5: entrance. Oh, we were about
6: to go around the front. Sorry about that. Hey, how are you doing? A volunteer was working at the museum when I visited. We're doing a video and a podcast and a story on Jim Duncan. Do you know Jim Duncan? He's the one of him. Yeah, 1972. The museum has exhibits about Confederate soldiers and plaques for local Vietnam vets and memorabilia from Lancaster's past.
8: I, mean, I loved giving the tours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll give you
6: a little quick one. Okay, we'll real fast. There. But there's nothing at all there about the man who rose from a shotgun house in the poorest part of that town to celebrate an NFL title.
3: Matching with Hayes on defense to Baltimore, his right cornerback Jim Duncan, number 35, who was the top kickoff return man in the American Conference. We may
6: never truly know how or why Jim died, but his life should be remembered.
5: When I look back now and I'm like, okay, well, I see this professional player came out of the college fast, and you're like, man, you never know where that could have gone. Here's Moral again. Yeah, so when, when did you start learning about Butch's death? I would say I hadn't really learned about his death. We didn't really have talks about this. This is literally something that we didn't talk about. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, is it something for comfort or is it going to actually make a difference?
6: Yeah.
5: Someone somewhere either died with it or is going to die with it. Yeah. Um, and um. I think that's kind of the gist that, you know, I've gotten over the years that you're never gonna get anything out of it. And I don't mean that to to deter you from doing what you're doing, but I mean, (laughs) when you have that, oh, I'm I'm sure I'm not. And Based on your list, I won't be the last.
6: (laughs) We'll be back in a moment.
0: And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals.
8: just
0: before game time. And believe me, it's been a tough ticket for this game. They've been scalping them for over $100 in the hotel lobbies and around Miami.
6: Historians in Lancaster may or may not reclaim Jim's past, but others see Jim's life as a lesson for the present and guidance for the future. That's the second reason I think this story is so important.
5: Baltimore will kick off from your right. Dallas will be receiving...
6: Ellery Duncan lived in the house at 425 Isom Street for decades after her eldest son's death. Once she died in 2001, a few distant cousins lived there on and off. But then the house sat empty for years until recently being sold. One summer day in 2019, one of our producers, Davin Coburn, drove past the house and he saw a car in the driveway. So he rang the doorbell.
4: The guy's name is Jim Duncan
6: and talked with the new owner about the man who used to live there.
4: He played for the Baltimore Colts, and he actually died in the Lancaster police station.
6: Camelia Funderburk had never heard of Jim, and she declined to appear in this podcast. But she knew instantly what she thought of the official account of his death. She said, quote, They're saying he walked into the police station and took a revolver and committed suicide? I don't believe that. For a former officer like Seth Stoughton, who's now professor of law at the University of South Carolina, that kind of reaction stops him cold. I asked her if she knew anything about this case, and I would like to just play you her
4: reaction.
6: Yeah, sure. In fact, it did stop him cold. We played the conversation for him and asked for his thoughts.
4: Yeah, that's... She had never heard the story before. (laughs) The sum total of her knowledge about this was you outlining the facts for her. And it's fascinating, isn't it? And a little frightening that her immediate conclusion is, I don't believe that. It's not completely crazy, right? Like People absolutely have, in the course of American history, walked up to officers and attempted to wrestle their gun out of their holsters. So why not believe it? I would hazard a guess it's because either she doesn't trust police now, which may be part of the story, or she thinks about what policing was like at the time in the 1960s and says, there's no way that I'm going to trust that institution.
6: For Stoughton, and, he hopes, the law enforcement community as a whole, the importance of rebuilding that trust is a lesson we should all learn from Jim's death. There
4: were few if any, verified facts that we could use to believe either story. So why
6: would a substantial portion of the community believe one story and not the other? In 2019, Stoughton gave a TEDx talk about that specific issue in policing.
4: Lack of trust had primed the community to believe the most negative version of events relayed in media reports, largely because of an adversarial agency culture that emphasized aggressive, enforcement-oriented approach to policing.
6: But he wasn't talking about Lancaster. He was talking about Michael Brown, almost 45 years after Jim's death.
0: There is growing
3: outrage tonight after an unarmed African-American teenager was shot and killed by police in the St. Louis suburb of Ferguson, Missouri.
6: Stoughton told us the fact that we wouldn't have known the difference is exactly why stories like Jim's matter.
4: My initial reaction was if we changed the date we could be having a conversation about the Jim Duncan shooting from a year ago. There are questions about transparency and accountability. There are questions about whether there was a sufficient investigation. The issues that it raises are exactly the same as a lot of the issues that we see and a lot of the concerns that are brought to a head by the Walter Scott shooting in North Charleston or the Michael Brown shooting in Ferguson or the Tamir Rice shooting in Cleveland and so on.
6: There are even more modern parallels to Jim's story.
3: Good evening. We're going to begin tonight with the NFL's stand on players who choose not to.
6: Today, some of the most visible and polarizing protesters of systemic racism in law enforcement are NFL players.
0: Following the lead of quarterback Colin Kaepernick,
6: NFL players began to
0: kneel during the anthem to protest police brutality and racism in America.
5: 400 years of systemic oppression, that slavery, Jim Crow, new Jim Crow, mass incarceration. I just felt the need to say something about it.
6: Eric Reed is an NFL veteran. He's a defensive back, one of the same positions Jim played. Back when Reed was with the San Francisco 49ers, he was the first player to kneel alongside Colin Kaepernick. Reed played for the Carolina Panthers in 2018 and 2019, not far from Lancaster. My colleagues at the Charlotte Observer asked him about being one of the faces of a modern civil rights movement.
5: As we said when we started, Colin and I, nothing will change unless you talk about it. So we're going to continue to talk about it. We're going to continue to hold America to the standard that it says on paper, that we're all created equal, because it's not that way right now. I'm a black man in America. I grew up black in America. You can't tell me that what I've experienced and what I've seen is not
6: true. Those shadows of the past can loom especially large for black men who grew up in South Carolina. Somebody's got to have some sense
7: in this world. And a lot of white folk have demonstrated eloquently that they don't have no sense. And why should we be that way?
6: Martin Luther King Jr. gave this speech in Charleston in 1967 The reason
7: I'm not going to preach a doctrine of black supremacy is because I'm so sick and tired of white supremacy. I still feel that the 60s and the 70s and 80s and civil rights, it's not a historical event, it's an ongoing event.
6: Rosie Gilliam is the Bar Street alum whose father coached Jim in high school and then college. He's remained connected to Lancaster's black community for decades.
0: I don't think there's anything unusual about Lancaster. If you took away the date and time, could you imagine that happening
7: today? And the answer is yes, you can.
6: There is, of course, the ultimate reason to tell this story. Hi, my name is Brett. I work at the newspaper in Rock Hill. The Search for Closure. I'm doing a story that I came across your name. Um, Maybe that's confirmation of the official narrative or a different sort of justice. At the very least, I hoped it would mean a fuller understanding for everyone of why Jim's life came to an end. And late in my work on this podcast, I learned I wasn't alone in that mission.
8: My name is Paula Steve Johnson. I am professor of law at Syracuse University College of Law. I am also the director of the Cold Case Justice Initiative at Syracuse University College of Law. Our work is to assist families in seeking information and justice and accountability for racially motivated killings of their loved ones that have not been solved and no one has been held to answer for those crimes.
6: We reached out to the Cold Case Justice Initiative, or CCJI, after one of my conversations with Elroy.
7: You know the NAACP uh, contact us. Really. Wanted to reopen the case.
6: Well. Yeah. I told He's him, right. I didn't
7: think my well, mama would. We need to put her through that again.
6: Oh, uh, so it was when she was alive, so it was in the nineties. Yeah. A spokesman for the Lancaster chapter of the NAACP told us they never launched any sort of formal investigation into Jim's death. But I thought they might not have been the only organization to try.
8: Some of you may be familiar with the Emmett Till case. Any of you familiar with at least the name Emmett Till?
6: There in Syracuse, a rotating team of about two dozen law school students each semester has allowed CCJI to research hundreds of possible civil rights era crimes, particularly murders where there's no statute of limitations.
8: If someone is responsible for taking someone else's life or for propagating a story that is not accurate, you know, if they are shielding other people who participated and so are responsible, the families deserve to know that. Whole communities deserve to know that. You know, those things were done as messages to entire Black communities. And so the closure, so to speak, goes beyond any particular family member, any particular community. This is a demand for justice for the entire American society.
6: Johnson told us the answer was no. CCJI had not looked into Jim's death. Well, not yet, anyway.
8: His mother, Mamie Till Mobley, had insisted that his casket remain open. Now, let me tell you that the next slide is very graphic. Um,
6: the coronavirus disrupted everything, including campus life at Syracuse. But having read the few public news reports of Jim's death, Johnson told me that as CCJI adapts workflows moving forward, Jim's case could become a real focus for her team.
8: It was very interesting to see the different accounts about what was going on, you know, for Mr. Duncan with respect to drugs. And that needn't be, you know, really here nor there as opposed to the most pivotal part of this, and that is when he goes into the police station. I mean, it's really curious to me, for instance, that he walked in there and didn't say anything to anyone. It it, it just doesn't quite make sense to me. It has always been the families who have insisted that the world, that government officials, that the entities and the apparatus of society and law enforcement take notice of these events, that the lives of their loved ones, of their children,
6: matter. Johnson co-founded CCJI in 2008, along with Syracuse professor emerita Janice McDonald. The Herald has not collaborated on this research with CCJI. But Johnson said this reporting could be a new jumping-off point for their legal investigation and that teams like hers can sometimes unearth information news organizations cannot.
8: There can be parallels, but, you know, sometimes our training as lawyers may lead us to find that something raises an issue for us that journalists may not pick up on. Now, you know, we ourselves are not prosecutors, and so... What we try to do is put that information in some kind of report. And if it looks as though there was something, you know, criminal involved, then we present that to the relevant authorities. They may be local prosecutors. They may be federal or state prosecutors. You know, but as attorneys, we kind of speak that language and understand what kinds of things would be important for them to take that and say, maybe we'll convene a grand jury or take this at that point.
6: At the same time, some of the people I spoke with for this story are not pushing to reinvestigate Jim's death or pursue any sort of legal action.
7: The past has to become the past at some point and a lesson base.
6: That includes some of Jim's good friends, like Bob Grant. Speedy's death is
7: suspect It's a very sad event, but we have to let go at some point. If we dwell too long on some of the bad history, we're going to end up having a bad future.
6: So clearly for some, the past really is better left alone. But others told me they agreed to be interviewed because they'll never find closure with so many open questions. And that the chance for answers Whatever they may be, was worth the pain of asking one last time.
7: Well, it took me a while because I, I never would have said okay to you.
6: Yeah, right. I met with Elroy and Linda Duncan on several occasions. Yes, sir. The final time, Elroy cried from the first question to the last.
7: Bush was a great athlete, and he was on 26, 26, and here I am. Just turned 70 years old. To the day, I still don't believe that he killed himself.
6: I don't believe that. We'll be right back.
0: And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller?
1: Had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free.
0: Ooh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal?
5: I paid for twenty tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange.
0: Ooh, you got burned. Next caller.
1: I traded in my old Samsung at AT and T for a new Samsung Galaxy S twenty four plus.
0: Hmm, how's that bad?
1: I got to choose from their best plans.
0: So what went wrong?
1: Oh, nothing went wrong.
0: And you're calling to
1: to request a song.
0: You want a song?
6: Williams, Philip Williams. I don't know what that one is. Back at the Salem A.M.E. Zion Church Cemetery, I've searched for Jim's grave for more than half an hour. There's oh, a Duncan in the neighborhood, maybe. Some of the headstones are pressure washed with finely etched names and lifespans. But some of the graves are marked only with a piece of stone or a bit of concrete sticking out of the ground. And a lot of these don't really have names on them. Eventually, I call Linda. Hello? Linda, this is Brett McCormick. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm standing in the middle of a cemetery. I was looking for a butchers. I update her on my research, as I do whenever we talk, and I tell her that apparently word had gotten around about my work. Somebody that knows that I'm working on this story called me and told me they found some stuff at an antiques shop in Lexington, South Carolina. It was like an autographed picture of Butch, um, I guess, signed by himself. For three years, this search has been a tale of new leads. I work at the uh, newspaper in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And then trails that go cold.
3: Unfortunately, the year that you're looking for,
1: along with many other years, is missing, just totally missing.
6: But the antique store is a valuable lead, if only because Jim's family has almost no physical reminders of him. The guy that owned the antique store thought he had more stuff from Butch. I think somehow he had acquired it. There's the painting of Jim and Morrill's home and a few old news clips they've collected. But no one knows where Jim's Super Bowl ring is now. And Elroy and Linda lost their family photos in a house fire years ago. All right, well, I'll get in touch with you later. Thanks again. (laughs) All right, bye. bye. Listeners of this podcast may have also noticed that we've never heard from Jim himself. That's because I've never heard his voice.
0: And hit on a
7: great play by Jim Duncan.
6: As many times as I've asked NFL teams and radio stations and TV networks if they have historical footage of him.
7: Here's
0: the kickoff, a short one. Running up on it is Jim Duncan, a great kickoff returner to the 30.
6: And as many hours as I've spent looking through news archives.
0: It was Jimmy Duncan who drove in there and recovered that fumble.
6: I haven't found anything with his voice. I finally just asked Floyd White if he could describe it. Did he have like a like any distinctive accent? Just normal voice and
7: being from a broken home, you know. I was from a broken home. I could read things and
6: you know sure. things like that. Sure. It's possible we might never get concrete answers. Oh, do you know her? His
5: wife? When he died? Uh, I'm sure i met her a couple of times when I was I'm an not sure. infant.
6: But in talking to Moral. I wondered if there might at least be a chance for reconnection. I drove to Greenville and met her and talked to her for a couple hours. That was a pretty emotional interview. As much as Jim's family and I talked about him these past few years, I found myself telling them almost as much about each other. Apparently she and Reed did not get along super well. I told Moral stories about Alice. She was like 20 years old when they got married. I mean, she was basically a kid. Then I told Alice stories about Moral. It would have been very interesting for you to hear how he looked at it, because he's 14 years younger than any of the other siblings. I was like, well, people ask you where your name comes from? And he's like, yeah, that's the main time that I think about him. Alice was most excited to hear about Morrill's daughter, the youngest addition to the family she was once part of, and the girl who would have been her niece. Oh, his daughter is 11? Guess where her middle name is. I forgot about this. Ella. In the years since Jim's death, his family suffered other tragedies. Two more of his siblings died before reaching old age. And those who are still alive, who are all tremendous athletes at one point, haven't been able to outrun time. He was
7: at Maryland State, now was at Johnson C. Smith. But we never did get to play against each other.
6: Oh, really? Uh-uh. Yeah. Elroy was a star quarterback at Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte. He took some big hits in games, too.
7: It's hard for me to remember the, the last day other than that he was
6: killed and the way that he was killed. These days, when Elroy loses a thought, Linda lovingly calls him CTE and then gently steers him back to the conversation.
7: only thing is he left his car parked in front of the Lancaster News. That's... Newspaper.
6: Alice still lives near Greenville. She went on to have three children, and we were joined in our conversations by her second husband, Bobby Caston. She found some relief in our talk about CTE, and the idea that a fundamental disconnect between Jim's mind and body could have driven some of his behavior. That the things she saw weren't a true reflection of the man she loved. Outside Salem AME Zion Church, there are headstones and markers for McIlwain's and Blackman's and Thompson's. But nothing for James Edward Duncan. I thought back to that poem Alice told me about. Let others cheer the winning man. There's one I hold worthwhile. Tis he who does the best he can, then loses with a smile. From my research, it appears that the poem is called The Cheerful Loser. And was written by a man named Arthur W. Beer. It seems to have been first published in 1911 in a magazine called The Nautilus. There's a verse that follows the one Alice remembers. It goes, "Beaten he is, but not to stay, down with the rank and file. That man will win some other day, who loses with a smile." Later, I was told by Elroy that Jim was buried without a headstone. Because back in 1972, the family couldn't afford one.
0: We're just about ready to get the second half underway. Deep for the Colts, Jim Duncan.
6: So in the end, I probably did stand next to Jim Duncan's final resting place.
0: Duncan up to the 15, the 20, cuts to the outside.
6: But even there in a graveyard, on the outskirts of a small town in South Carolina, the return man is elusive once more. I'm Brett McCormick. This has been Longshot, Season 1, Return Man. It's a production of The Herald, McClatchy Studios, and iHeartRadio. Return Man was produced by Matt Walsh, Kara Tabor, Kata Stevens, Rachel Wise, and executive producer Davin Coburn. The executive producer for iHeartRadio is Sean Titone. Cliff Harrington is the executive editor of The Herald, Cynthia Dubose is McClatchy's Managing Editor for Audience Engagement. McClatchy Studios was created by Jonathan Forsyth. And special thanks to Gina Smith, Jay Pilgreen, Eddie Alvarez, Gabby Garner, and Sherry Chisenhall. For lots more on this story, go to heraldonline.com returnman. If you have any additional information about Jim Duncan's life or death, email us at returnman at heraldonline.com. To continue supporting this kind of work, visit heraldonline.com slash podcasts and consider a digital subscription. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free introducing the lisa chill collection your answer to hot nights These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers. Whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on Chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.